Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight Talk from Israel. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. So happy to be here. And uh, I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Moshe Lichtman of Beit Shemesh. Yes, yes. Thank you for joining us today, as always. And this is a live show, so we encourage you to call in with your questions and comments and suggestions. Uh, Our number, if you are on the way to the airport to North America, the number is 301 301-768-4841. And if you are fortunate enough to already be on this side of the pond, as they say, on, on in Eretz Yisrael, in the Holy Land, then you should call us also with the number 2 That's 2 0151. We are uh, Israel Unplugged, and of course, this is where you get the unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the redemptive process, focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles. And we have a nice show ahead of us. People calling, people are listening in from Saudi Arabia. Yes, Saudi Arabia. I could even, I didn't even think about speaking about that, but we should definitely remind me to speak about Saudi Arabia, from Canada, from the United States, from Brazil. From all around the world, we're so excited to have all our listeners listening in, and we encourage you to call in. We also encourage you to look up our websites because we have a, a wealth of information uh, on our websites. Our, my, our websites, uh, our Rabbi Lichtman's website, I should say, is toratzion.com, toratzion.com, where you can find all of his books for sale and a lot of information about uh, his different projects. And uh, our website is itstimetoleave.com, itstimetoleave.com. And again, over there, you will find hundreds of videos of uh, prominent rabbis and rebbitzin speaking about the importance of living here today. You will find this show as well as our other shows and podcasts uh, to listen to on the topic of Aliyah. And we are very, very excited to have a, a, a uh, exciting show ahead of us. We're going to talk about exciting things. So please stick with us. We will be right back after these messages. Okay, I think I think with the new, uh, uh, yeah, with okay, yeah, exactly saying. with the, right with the new format, we're gonna we're continuing now. Uh, yeah, we're gonna we'll, we'll take a break so, in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. There were some technical difficulties, but we're still excited to be here. And let's start. Let's just go right into it. Um, one of the interesting things that happened that uh, we read about this past week was a ban, a ban put on Israel, or actually Israel's Jewish agency, in promoting Aliyah and bringing the Jews of Russia back to Israel because of the uh, lack of interest, lack of involvement, whatever whatever Ukraine believes um, between the war between Russia and Ukraine, whatever's going on, and we're not, we're, each side thinks we're not doing enough in order to stop it. It's funny that us, the little little country in Israel, should have any say whatsoever in what goes on in these major uh, powers in the world. But uh, either way, since we're not doing enough, they're, go- they're punishing us in their own ways. And one of those, Russia said that they are no longer 
going to allow the Jewish agency to work in Russia's borders, and they are not allowing anyone to encourage Aliyah to Israel. That does not mean that the borders have been sealed, but we do know that in the times, those that are of us that are old enough to remember, uh, in the times of the Iron Curtain, that Jews were not able to just pick up and move to Israel. And we fear that that may yet happen again someday, that the Jews will not have an opportunity to leave. So this is another reason that we have to encourage our Jewish brethren and our sisters around the world that this is the time the writing is really on the wall. I, I, we've spoken about it before, that there is a, it is a time of upheaval, a time that things are shaking, and I think that everybody feels that. As, you know, whenever I speak to people, there are, there are many that say that I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating, that, that these things will just they'll, they'll, they'll blow over. It's just temporary. But everybody feels that there is an upheaval in the world. Everybody feels that we are on the verge of, of something major. Uh, it could be World War III. It could be something else. But there are things that are changing. And change, even when it seems to be negative, even when it's, it's, it's wars, and, and people are unfortunately being hurt, that, that affects the whole world order. And that world order that's being affected is also being controlled in some ways by God. Hashem is deciding how to control this, this whole system and manipulate it in a way that's going to be for the benefit of the Jewish people here in the land of Israel. And part of that is godly, part of that is divine, and part of that is up to us. Part of it is, 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 is solely on our ability to make decisions and to, to, to work the free will that was given to us, that we should be able to make these decisions of good and, and, and bad. And one of those decisions that we're given, and we're fortunate to give, and I always quote Rabbi Nachman Kahana, who, is, uh, who, who says that, uh, both Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and Rabbi Soloveitchik, different great rabbis in America, they they were able to keep a balance in which you there's a famous responsa. Uh, I'm sure we've spoken about it before, of one of the, the greatest rabbis of our generation, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, who discusses in his responsa uh, whether or not the, uh, the, the commandment, the mitzvah, to live in the land of Israel is an obligatory commandment, or if it's an optional, a voluntary commandment, and in our Nachman, in our times, in our times, and Rav Nachman says that in in, in his great in, to his credit and his great ability that he was imagine that the, the the great rabbis were all to say that of course it's obligatory, of course everybody has to get up and move to Israel. In, in a way that would take away a, a, our free will to make the decision ourselves, because it would be it would be uh, it would be obligatory. We, we would have to listen to the rabbis what they say that the Torah and, and and God obligates us to do, and those that are willing to listen would listen. Those that wouldn't wouldn't, of course. But it would it would take away an aspect of free will by saying that there's a possibility that maybe it is a voluntary uh, um, commandment. Maybe it's obligatory. He brings it into the, he continues to allow us to have 100% free will in our generation that we can make that decision on our own and we can get credit for that decision of picking ourselves up and doing the right thing and coming to the land of Israel. Did you have something yes. to say on that? On the yeah, 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 for sure. 
For sure. Uh, you know, it is true. We definitely have uh, free will in it. But on the other hand, in the big picture, there's no question that God's hand is involved in history and he is pushing us in that direction. That doesn't mean every single individual Jew is being pushed as if he doesn't have free will. But it does mean that the Jewish people as a whole are returning to the land of Israel, and that's you know pretty pretty obvious. You know, I just started reading a book this past uh, Shabbos, um, a book called Hanavuah by Rav Shmuel Eliyahu, the chief rabbi of Tzfat, the son of. I the love chief. that book, and I've asked them to translate into English, and hopefully, I think, Ari Berman um, promised me that they are going to. Wait, I thought. I, th- I was about to say that I thought that it is translated in English. Uh, then I, I th- maybe I'm not. Thought I saw. I thought I saw it uh, in English also. But okay, I can find that out. Um, but it is unbelievable. Just that he brings the facts. He brings first of all every aspect of of what's happened here in the last hundred hundred fifty years is is foretold by the by the prophets. Everything is prophesied. Uh, and, and on every issue, he brings psukim, he brings verses from the Tanakh that, that back it up. But he also brings so many other interesting historical facts. The one that really caught my eye was the difference. He compares Baron Hirsch and uh, Rothschild. I forget which Rothschild. Give me a second. Um, hmm. Whichever one, the other, the, the other one was one of, one of the one of the great Rothschilds. So he said, Baron Hirsch, um, he 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 had an idea of how to save Jews from the pogroms in, in in Russia, and that was to send them either to America or to send them to a certain area in Russia, all the way on the other side, all the way all the way out to the east, like uh, near Siberia. Um, and and he said, you know, he had good intentions. He wanted it, and he was a multi-billionaire. I mean, he had more money than than you can imagine. And he really donated a lot to help Jews, to help train them to be able to work, and et cetera, et cetera. And but but the results, you know, after a hundred years, you see that the results are that so many Jews who who were steered towards America and other such places. Um, ended up uh, intermarrying, assimilating, and there's nothing left of them Jewishly anymore. As opposed to Rothschild, he put all his money in building up the land of Israel. And that's also, by the way, part of the divine plan, if we're talking about it. You know, you know, God puts these ideas into people's heads. Someone like Rothschild, who has so much money, and he also was a big lover of Zion. And, and, and the way Rav Shmuel Eliyahu puts it, he says the big difference between the two was that Rothschild had a rabbi. A Rothschild looked up to a certain rav, a certain rabbi who was one of the early, um, you know, religious Zionists, and he's the one who said, hey, I, you know, I think you should you should steer your money towards the land of Israel." And we see that that money really paid off because the um, the the uh, the Jews that have moved there have have thrived and. And even if they're not religious, they're still Jewish, you know, because there's very little intermarriage and assimilation in the land of Israel. And, you know, we just see that this God, God is is making things happen in the way that he wants them to happen. Okay, we're going to be right back. We're going to take a short break and stick with us and see you soon. 
Have you ever had your electricity go out only to find out that nearby construction crews had hit a pipe causing the problem? Excavation and drilling are necessary for construction, but construction crews need to first discover what's underground to avoid hitting a gas pipeline or water source. An Israeli firm called Exotigo is working on what they say is an underground imaging platform that can help utility infrastructure engineering and construction companies avoid impacting underground infrastructure, including utilities. The technology has advanced sensors which can be deployed by cart or drone in combination with 3D imaging and AI technologies to map buried assets, reducing risk associated with conventional digging and exploratory excavation, helping to keep your air conditioner working. For more information on the high-tech world today, visit IsraelTechTalk.com. With your INTR Tech Minute, I'm Bob Aiello. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. I see that we still have a listener in from Jeddah, South, Saudi Arabia, and we are very excited for this tonight, and I, and I welcome him. Assalamu alaikum. I can tell you that there's exciting things going on in the world. As I said, there is an upheaval in the world. Things are changing. The world order is changing. Uh, this week, uh, as we speak, they are preparing to invite or to bring the president of the United States, Biden, here to Israel. I'm not saying it's necessarily a good thing for our country, but it is happening and it is shaking things up. And one of the things that is being spoken about uh, is a, a imminent peace agreement with Saudi Arabia. This is huge. If you just spoke uh, a few years ago uh, to someone, you said that soon we are going to have a peace agreement with the Gulf states. Uh, people would look at you like you're absolutely insane. There, There is no way that Israel will ever have a peace agreement with Saudi Arabia, with Bahrain, with the United Arab Emirates. This this could never happen. And we are witnessing in our lifetime a whole change in the world order where many, perhaps even most, of the Arab countries, of course, Egypt and Jordan already signed previously peace agreements with Israel. These Arab countries that were our mortal enemies now are realizing that they have only what to benefit from being friends with Israel. Israel has so much to give to them and to the world. We are the startup nation. We are the ones that are providing all the new inventions. Everything that is happening is happening through this holy site. And we are bringing that holy site. Of course, that holy site includes holiness not only for our religion, but also for Islam. It also has the forefather of Islam, right? Ishmael. Ismael was here. We have Ibrahim. We have Avraham Avinu is our, is our shared grandfather that is here in Hebron. And we, we, are, we are, have a unique connection, both historically and contemporarily. We have a unique connection between our nations. And together, we are going to be very, a, a great region. We are going to be the greatest region, I believe, in the near future. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see the future of Europe and the future of the United States being uh, go- going up, but actually going down. You know, all empires have their ups and their downs. And to me, it seems like we are, they, they are, there's an, we spoke about it earlier, that there is an impending danger happening to Europe and, and, and the United States. This is due to all sorts of causes, non, not least of which the fact that they have a uh, mind, you know, they're, they're, they're not having children. 
So their, their population is just decreasing, and the only increase is coming from a, a huge influx of, of refugees. Um, this is having an incredible effect on, on what was known as cultural Europe and cultural United States. I had a great experience this uh, past week where I purchased on auction a document from, uh, from, uh, that was written in 1764 or five, I can't remember exactly which year. It was a document that was written to the communities of Europe and the communities of America, asking them, it was from the Jewish community of Hebron, asking them to send in money. They were collecting money for the Jews of Hebron to assist with their community. And I'm looking at this document, I'm thinking to myself, what was in America in 1760s? This is before the United States was the United States. This is in colonial times. There was, America was nothing, but they were still, the, the, the Jewish communities around the world were still united in assisting the communities here in Israel, even though there was very little here at the time. Right? There, 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 was, there were small pockets of, of Jews here and there. The, the country as a whole, <coughs> excuse me, was, was, was barren. Right. Most of the country was, of course, it wasn't under our control, but it was it was completely mostly desert and a very small population in general and, a, and even a smaller Jewish population. And this is we are witnessing, as Rabbi Lichtman always likes to point out, we are witnessing in our day the, the return of the Jewish people, the blossoming of of the uh, of the country. And this is, a, again, a fulfillment of prophecy that is prophesied thousands of years ago that the day will come. I was just speaking to somebody uh, this week and I was telling them what other nation in the world, I don't believe there's one other nation in the world that could speak to their ancestor from, from hundreds of years ago, let alone thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, speak to them in a language that they would understand. But if you spoke, if us as, as, uh, as English speakers, we were in America and you spoke to, to somebody, you know, several hundred years ago, you'd be, they would be speaking Shakespearean English. You wouldn't understand a word they were talking about. Or or they'd be speaking Yiddish, or they'd be speaking, I don't know, Polish, or who knows what. But even German. those languages have, have adjusted. I mean, Greek, you know, ancient Greek is not the same as modern Greek. They're, they're, just, they're, right. they're different languages. You wouldn't understand each other. But today we have, uh, we have resurrected, through Eliezer ben Yehuda and his family, we have resurrected the Hebrew language. Eliezer ben Yehuda, for those that don't know, it was the one that brought back the modern language of Hebrew. Uh, right. To the world, and actually, he's buried here. He, he he's buried here on. He's one of my neighbors. that's buried here on the Mount of Olives, Very and nice. on his on his son's on his eldest son's uh, uh, tombstone, it says Hayelet Ha'ivri Harishon. He was the first Jewish child in two thousand years to be speaking exclusively the Hebrew language. Now, just imagine this: we're able to speak to somebody that has been li- that that lived thousands of years ago. Speak to them in this language, and they're going to understand what we're talking about. It's incredible. People just don't think about how in the context of what we're living in and what we're seeing and, and the enormity of what we're seeing. Certainly, there would be some differences. Uh, you know, there would be some things that would be difficult to, for them to understand because, you know, they're modern words and, you know, but, uh, you know, the detractors, the, the extremists in, in, our, in our community, unfortunately, uh, in the Jewish community who, you know, who put down everything Zionistic and fa- find fault in everything. So they'll say, you know, oh, this is not, the, this is not the real Lashon HaKodesh, this is not real 
the holy tongue. This is this is modern Hebrew written by, as you said, Ben Yehuda. He was secular, and, and all these problems and certain words he used, which are which are um, not the right word, or or he used it in a in a uh, in the wrong way, or whatever it was. And they have all these complaints. But on the other hand, you have to admit that. You know, most of it, I would say 90% of the language is exactly the same, you know, just that he he understood the grammar and he and he and by the way, that's also what we were talking about before. It's clearly divinely inspired, even though he was totally secular. Um, he was clearly divinely inspired. Why would someone do this? Why would someone care so much? Uh, this he made it this his life work. It's clear that Hashem was is guiding things to happen that that would bring the people back to to the land and also bring the the Jewish nation back to Yemei Kedem, right? The days of old, which included, of course. You know, speaking Hebrew, there's a beautiful story. If you already mentioned him, uh, if, if we can, a, a beautiful story about um, about Ben um, Ben Yehuda with, with Rav Cook. You know, he lived at the same time as Rav Cook, so um, a lot of times when he had a hard time figuring out uh, the etymology of a certain word or or something of that sort, or where this word comes from and how to say it, he would go to Rav Cook. And supposedly the way the way the story goes, I can't I can't find it right now to read the exact words, but um, but it is found in my book, uh, An Angel Among Men, a biography on Rav Cook. Uh, so he came to Rav Cook, and he had a bunch of. Uh, by the way, he came at a time where he usually is learning. Where Rav Cook was learning with one of his chavruta, with one of his study partners, and. Uh, for some crazy reason, the door was open and he just walked in. Usually the door was locked just during that small time during the day. It wasn't. He walked in. He asked all his questions. Every question he asked, Rav Cook answered. And then he went, he turned to take his leave. And Rav Cook said to him, uh, ben, ben Eliezer, or Ben Yehuda, I'm sorry, Eliezer Ben Yehuda. Ben Yehuda, maybe the time has come for you to do tshuva, for you to repent. And uh, Ben Yehuda answered him and said, Ulai, maybe. And then he left. A few hours later, Ben Yehuda died. And, and Rav Kook said that, that that maybe that he said was what we call Hirure Tshuva, thoughts of Tshuva, which are considered as if, as the Gemara in Kedushin says, that it's as if a person did Tshuva. If a person thinks about doing Tshuva, it's as if he already did the Tshuva, uh, meaning repented. And therefore, you know, we say he was secular and all that, and he was. There's no question about it, he was. But uh, but he nonetheless he he had a Jewish soul and he was inspired to bring back the Hebrew language, which is such an important part of our of our religion of our peoplehood. You ever hear that story before, Josh? Sure, it's a famous story, and and I have, yeah. I just want to add that it wasn't just the Hebrew language um, that is being uh, that is known. In religious circles, you also have Aramaic, which is the, what the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud's written in, and what is studied every day in the study halls throughout the world. So the, again, you have you have a language that was spoken thousands of years ago, Aramaic and and uh, Hebrew, languages that have would in normal normal affairs 
In normal history, they would have been gone, disappeared, long, long gone, these, these languages, right? They, they were not spoken for thousands of years. You can't just resurrect. In fact, I forgot to say what was on the tombstone of Eliezer ben Yehuda. It says, He was the resurrector of the Hebrew language. And that is exactly what it is. After thousands of years of not being spoken, of being an extinct language, he brought it back to life. The land has been brought back to life. The people have been brought back to life. And the Torah is being brought back to life. And this is amazing that we're able to live in a generation in a place where we're able to see these unfold before our eyes. Please stick with us. We're going to be right back after this break. Starting up your own online business can be rewarding, but it's also not without risk and other challenges. Many online businesses suffer from unexpected costs and difficulty growing their revenue. An Israeli company named WebEyes is developing what they say is a technology solution that automatically reports technical issues and other problems that could be keeping your company from being profitable. The product lost revenue dashboard quantifies the revenue impact of every site issue, helping you to make informed data-driven decisions. Dynamic alerting lets you know when critical events reach a threshold, helping to provide site monitoring around the clock. You can customize the product to your needs and even manage more than one online business to achieve success and profitability. For more information on the high-tech world today, visit IsraelTechTalk.com. With your INTR Tech Minute, I'm Bob Aiello. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged, and uh, this week we are going to be reading the parsha, the portion of Pinchas, the story of Pinchas who uh, saved the Jewish people from the plague in the end of last week's portion. But I think uh, there's a very important lesson in this parsha a little later on after the story of Pinchas, which really... Uh, speaks to the uh, importance of the land of Israel, as we try to talk about in this in this show, but specifically from the perspective of the women. Now, we're talking here, of course, we're equal opportunity here. We don't, uh, we're not chauvinistic. We're not only talking to the men. In fact, we are, as I'm going to show you, probably the most important um, gender out there in terms of love for the land of Israel is the female, is the woman out there, because there's something about women that they have, they get it right, they understand it better, and for better or for worse, in other words, they can be the ones who will make the difference between making Aliyah or not making Aliyah. If a woman wants to make Aliyah and she's really uh, strong about it, she can bring her husband together and the whole family with them. She's the Akeret Habayit. She's the, the one who holds together the house, and she's the one who has the power to do it. And if she and doesn't... And we see that by Avram Avinu. That, he, that Hashem says to him that you should listen to whatever your wife tells you to do. Right. 
Correct. And over and over again, I should tell you, whenever I go to speak, and I speak to different families, and I speak to different communities, over and over again, I find that the women are always willing to get up and leave, and the men are always the ones with the excuses, but that's not practical, but, 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 but. Ah, exactly, exactly. And that's, that's the issue. And we see it, how do we see it in the parsha? So... First, we have a, a juxtaposition in the Parsha, which doesn't seem to make sense, which Rashi makes sense of it. First, we have <clears throat> the uh, the story of the Benot Tzlaf. I'm sorry, not first, actually, it's the second thing. Um, it says about the story of Benot Tzlafchad, the daughters of Tzlafchad. And it says that they were from the tribe, the families of Menashe, who was the son of Yosef. And um, Rashi comments that his daughters cherished the land. That what was special about the daughters of Tzlafchad is they cherished the land. They wanted a portion. You know, there were only five daughters and no sons. So they said, you know, why should we lose out? Just because our father didn't have any sons, we should get the inheritance. And God said to Moshe, they're right. They're right. The girls should get the inheritance. Now you would think that, okay, the reason they were doing it is because they wanted money. right? They wanted a portion of land they can, you know, it's it's a monetary gain, but that's not what they wanted. That they didn't care about that. They cared about getting a portion in the land of Israel. If this portion was somewhere else, they wouldn't have cared. What they cared about is the land of Israel. And immediately before the story of Benot Slavchad, it says that I'll read it in English. But among these, there was not a man of those whom Moshe and Aaron the Kohen counted, for the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness, meaning the people who did the sin of the spies. And not a man was left of them except for Kalev, son of Yefuna, and Yehoshua, son of Nun. Right? So Rashi says, what does it mean? There's not a man. It repeats it twice. Not a man was left. What does it mean, not a man? What about the women? Rashi says exactly. The women were not included in the in the decree of the spies because they cherished the land, and that's why that 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 pasuk is right before the story of the of Benot Tzlafchad, the daughters of Tzlafchad, to show this connection of the of of love of the land of Israel, the women in general in Egypt and in the in the desert, they understood they wanted badly to go to Eretz Yisrael. It was the men who were weaker in this issue. And I remember I remember reading, and we've talked about this book before, To Dwell in the Palace. This was, this was the book that gave me tremendous strength in my uh, Aliyah before any of my books were written. Uh, it was the only English book that, that encouraged Aliyah from a Torah perspective. It was an amazing, amazing book. I used to love reading it. Uh, someone someone get, got it for me when we made Aliyah, and, and I loved it. And I used to read it to my students all the time. And then I translated my own books, and I, you know, I, I read the, from that book less. But this piece really, really is strong. It talks about the uniqueness of women and the land of Israel. And the reason I quoted, I quoted in my book, Eretz Yisrael and the Parsha, is because I'm not a woman. So, you know, how, who am I to say, you know, what the connection is? But the the one who wrote this article, her name is Schiffer Slater, a very special woman, and she uh, puts it so beautifully. She writes as follows. On this occasion, the men of Israel, but not the women, made a drastic mistake. 
spurning the cherished land of Israel, they foiled the Geula, which means they foiled the redemption. We were supposed to be redeemed, go into the land of Israel with Moshe Rabbeinu immediately, and there would never have been a Galut, there never would have been a an exile. All those years of Jewish history, of all the tragedies we suffered, never would have happened. 600,000 men, great and wise men, accepted the evil report of their leaders. They simply could not see through the visible realities in the land. All they saw was fortresses and death, Amalek and giants. They, after all, as men, had in-depth knowledge of many aspects of the situation. The men knew how unskilled the Jews were in the martial arts. They appreciated the particulars of the agricultural work that faced the nation. They had learned well the commandments warning us against the Amalekite people. And so they reached a pessimistic, pessimistic conclusion. The men wept, causing catastrophe and earning perdition. But no woman, not one, shed a tear. The women once again maintained their perspective. True, the women lacked the detailed knowledge of the land circumstances which the men had, but they knew that reality could be defined only in terms of God's promise. The apparently insurmountable hurdles would somehow disappear. No matter how things looked, all that mattered was the will of the Almighty. Their reward was entry into the land God promised to the Jews. Every woman in that generation merited this great privilege. But if you think about it, as she goes on to say in a second, just in case you want to interject something, Josh, you can. But uh, if you think about it, so you had 600,000 widows. That's what you had going into the land of Israel. 600,000 widows. Every one of their, their husbands died. Ah, but what a bittersweet reward. Were women created to be righteous only for themselves? To enter Eretz Yisrael as elderly widows? <clears throat> was woman not created to work at her at her role of Azer Kinegdo, a help a help to her husband, right? If only they had mustered the strength of a Sarah, a Sarah or Rivka, they might, like their foremothers, have opposed their husbands and in doing so been a real help. Meaning it's not enough to just want it. You have to speak up. You have to speak up and tell your husband, you guys are wrong. You are absolutely wrong and be quiet. We, 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 can, we, we can win. Don't listen to those uh, bearers of evil, evil uh, reports. They're wrong. There's nothing that can stop us. They might, they might have succeeded in pointing out the truth about Eretz Yisrael instead of allowing the men their superficial, superficial view. In this way, all might have entered together and the complete gula unfolded. Is there a lesson for us today, continues Miss Schiffer Slater? Surely there is. No story in the Torah may be learned without its present-day application. With the outstretched arm of open miracles, the Almighty has indicated to us that the time to return to Eretz Yisrael has come. She's talking about open miracles today. Today, the Six-Day War. right? Hashem, God is indicating to us that the time to return to Eretz Yisrael has come. A second chance in our own days. As women, we, Mrs. Slater is saying, we are in a better position to recognize this truth. For the men, finances, security, and a host of other gigantic realities may cloud the horizon. Caught in this tangle, 
they may resist the pull of the land. They may turn their backs on this central mitzvah, on this rare privilege. If the women hold firm, we can put things into perspective for our husbands. Fulfillment of the will of God is, after all, the only reality. If we rise to his expectations, we will see to it that all the giants in the land shrink and disappear. Holding us by the hand, he will lead us toward his goal. Historically, this is the last paragraph. Historically, the women of Israel have succeeded in just this way. Now the final chapters are tangibly near at hand. This is no time to fail in accomplishing our divinely ordained tasks. Today we dare not shirk our responsibility. Let us rise to utilize our additional wisdom. Right? They say about women that have what's called binayetera, additional wisdom recognizing that the ultimate destiny of Israel can be only in God's own land, let us show our husbands the way and lead them triumphantly home. Beautiful, beautiful article. Amazing. I think that uh, if you look throughout history, that many of the national tragedies, the national sins that were committed by our people were committed by the men when it came to the golden calf uh, the, the jewelry was taken, the women's jewelry was not given by the women, it was taken by the men to, to, to build the golden calf. You see that they were not involved in the selling of, uh, of Joseph, of Yosef. You see that they were not involved in the, in the spies, uh, directly in the spies, that the spies were all men. So over and over again, we can, we can always blame the men for all the, the serious <laughs> tragedies that have happened throughout Jewish history. And, uh, and again, it is clear to me Again, without without even knowing that uh, historic perspective, it is clear to me from my very limited modern day perspective that over and over again, I find that women are the ones that have uh, the most passion when it comes to the land of Israel. I've also seen it, by the way, on the hilltops, what they call this, the, the settlers settling the land. I've seen that there's a, a group of women that's very famous here, known as the Women in Green, led by Nadia Matar. And they were always on the forefront. They were the ones, and the, the first ones to go out to the hilltops to settle the hilltops. As the, as the Hebron, Hebron, right? The whole exact the women of Hebron, absolutely. The ones that went to the original hotel and with their kids, and then the ones. Uh, should I tell a story, or you want? To... Yeah, we have time. The, the women. Okay, so the, the, there's a, one of the great, amazing stories that I that I know. There are many stories about the women of Hebron, but one that I often tell. Is the story of the the uh, the old Jewish cemetery in Hebron. The old Jewish cemetery was a cemetery that dated back hundreds and hundreds of years. The some of the oldest uh, tombs there, the Chesed Lavrom, and others that were that are buried there for for hundreds of years. And during the Jordanian occupation between uh, 1948 and 1967, it was completely razed to the ground. It was completely destroyed. They bulldozed the whole cemetery. It was left uh, completely barren. <clears throat> Fast forward uh, 1967, the day after what we celebrate as Jerusalem Day, Yom Yerushalayim, was the day of Yom Hebron, the day that they, we, we managed to liberate uh, Hebron. And we've spoken about that story, of, the famous story of the chief rabbi of the IDF, Rabbi Gorin, coming with his driver and then liberating, liberating the city. <clears throat> so they come into Hebron. The, the Jewish women, I'm not going to tell the whole story of the Jewish women, they came back and they, they basically decided that, they, that, that they're going to, they didn't allow them initially to settle the city. 
Uh, of course, the city was used, I, 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 should, I should preface this by saying it was used for hundreds of years by consistently by Jewish communities. Yeah, you mentioned that before, Rockefeller. about seven, you mentioned about 17, whatever year it was, before the establishment right, of America, exactly, that, exactly. that the Jews in Hebron were sending messages to, to right. the, yeah. Until, up until the, the massacre that happened in 1929, where 67 Jews were murdered and hundreds were wounded. And then it became Judenrein, the whole, the whole city became empty of Jews. And it was only many years later that the Jews came back, but they weren't allowed to settle. The government wasn't interested in dealing with that, uh, the, in, with, the, with the Tomb of the Patriarchs and the city of Hebron, which had a very hostile population in it. And uh, they did not allow Jews to settle it. There was a group of women that went with their kids and they went on a, on a trip, on a vacation, and they decided they're going to go into one of the hotels over there and they're going to, the, the army didn't think twice of it because what, what would women and children without their husbands be doing but going on vacation, going on a trip? So they went and they stayed in a hotel. And, but the time came to check out of the hotel and they said, we're not leaving. We're staying here. And there was a whole fight between them and the Israeli government. They weren't allowed the, the husbands to come. They put the hotel under siege. The women said, there's no way we're not leaving here. We're here to settle the land and we're not leaving. And that's what eventually started. The government eventually caved in and they allowed them to start to, to, to live there. Uh, years later, the cemetery was still still not accessible. And it was due to another tragedy where the, the, the son of um, the famous painter, Baruch Nachshon, that just passed away this past year, they had a son that passed away from SIDS. <clears throat> and this uh, infant child, uh, the mother took the infant child and said, I want to bury him in the ancient, in the old cemetery of Hebron, even though it's not accessible. The army called their commanders and said that uh, do not allow them to go there. They are not allowed to go to that area. And Sarah Nachshon, the mother of uh, this child, took her dead child and started walking courageously to the cemetery, said, I'm going to bury my child in that cemetery. The soldiers that were on the ground basically broke their orders. They said they're not going to be the ones that, to stop this mother and her dead child uh, from going to the cemetery. And she just marched to the cemetery and she buried her child. At the time of the burial of her child, she named her child. Of course, a, a child that's before uh, eight days old is not named yet. So, so he was named and she named him Abraham Yedidia. And during the eulogy that she said afterwards at, at the gravesite, she said at the eulogy that just like the, our original forefather, Abraham, came here and settled Hebron in order to, he purchased a plot for his wife, Sarah. So now Sarah is rebringing, is reclaiming this property of Hebron to the Jewish people by burying her son Abraham, right? This is this is once it was Sarah. Abraham, it was buried Sarah. Right. Now the mother Sarah, of Sarah yeah. she was burying Abraham. So so wow. this this is these are the courageous women of Hebron that have done enormous things and it's not only in Hebron, it's all over the country and all over the world. But I'm just giving you one one little example, one little insight in how the how the, the courage of women in our generation and the past generations have been so That's fundamental in bringing the Jewish people back to their land. Correct. And uh, thank you for joining us this uh, this week. And uh, Bezrat Hashem, we'll see you again. With God's help, we'll see you again next week. The same channel, same time. And, uh, you know, tell your friends Different about it. Tell them to come and join us. Why? 
Different format. Different format. Okay, take care. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.